Uh, Dean, could you just pass my phone there? God is good. And all the time. Amen and amen. I hope you are warm this morning in the presence of the Lord. At this time, I'm also going to discharge, dismiss the Sunday school. Uh, you can give them a round of applause as they make their way out. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, just excuse my voice. Uh, uh, this morning I've been fighting these demons of flu for, <laughs> for a whole year. Am I the only one? No. Amen. My wife just made me some ginger tea. Glory. No, really. <laughs> uh, Clinton, you know how much I love baptism, man. I met my, my wife during the baptism ceremony. <laughs> I was a baptism instructor. <laughs> so the brothers would ask, hey, under whose name did you baptize her into? <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Can we open up in a word of prayer? This morning we get to talk about one world and two realms, our spiritual warfare series. Heavenly Father, we want to bless you and thank you for your presence. Thank you for an opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. We're so grateful that we could have Granville and Sarisha, the newlyweds. Lord, we thank you that young men are still chasing and pursuing young damsels and getting tied in that sacred bond of love and marriage. Thank you that they are in the service today. Bless their marriage, their union, far above all they could think or ask possible in Jesus' name. Anoint this groggy-sounding preacher this morning and anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And everybody says, Amen, amen and Amen. Hallelujah. Welcome back to Emily and Sarisha. It's good to have you in the building. See all smiles. Uh, someone tell a joke uh, yesterday at a wedding and said, you know, uh, a man is not complete until he is married. Thereafterwards, he's finished. <laughs> Amen. So, a mother gives her son a call. And uh, it's on a Sunday morning. She gives him a call just to make sure that he gets out of bed for church. And the son replies and says, Mom, I'm not going. And she said, Oh, yes, you are. You're going all right. And he replied and said, Give me one good reason as to why I should go. Do, do I have a call? Do I have a call, Mike? No, into, okay. Okay, okay. Okay, that's fine. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Okay, cool. We're going old school. <laughs> Might come back to chill later. Okay. So mother calls her son on a, on a Sunday morning and says, Son, it's time to get up for church. Get ready for church. And he replies and says, Mom, I am not going. And she replies and says, oh, yes, you are. You better get out of that bed. And he replies and says, mommy, give me one good reason as to why I should go to church. And she says, I'll give you three. Firstly, I am your mother. And I'm saying you're going. Secondly, you are 40 years old. You're old enough to know better. And thirdly, you are the pastor. <laughs> you are needed there. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes, family. <laughs> I to remind myself, hey, you're the pastor. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Second Kings. Second Kings, I'm going to give you two clues. It's in the Old Testament. Second clue is after First Kings. <laughs> Second Kings, if you're there, we're looking at chapter 6. 
Don't you loathe load shedding? Second Kings, and we are chapter six. When you're there, please give an amen. amen. Um, sensing a struggle on my right hand side here. <laughs> See everybody at chapter six of Second Kings. Are we there by faith? <laughs> Amen. Second Kings chapter 6. And let's read from verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass by this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to that place of which the man of God had informed him of. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. He called his servants and said, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who is a traitor in our midst? How does the king of Israel know where we are going to attack? And one of his servants replied and said, None, my lord, there's no traitor in our midst, O king. But it is Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. Now imagine the scene, waking up early in the morning, wiping the snot out of your eyes to see that there is an army of chariots and soldiers encamped around you about to snuff you out. This servant was petrified. He went to Elisha and said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? We are surrounded. So Elisha answered to his servant and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I could have only imagined what went through the servant's mind at that time. What is Elisha smoking? Verse 17. Elisha prayed, and Elisha prayed, and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with the blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now when Elisha said to them, This is the way. Nor is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led him all the way to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria where the king of Israel was and his army. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said, Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword or your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. 
Amen. Last verse I want to read for you is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I just want to read for you verse 18. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, everything you see right now in this building is temporary. Even that muscular body you have there, Kenley, is temporary. <laughs> Everything you see is temporary. The things that cannot be seen with your eyes are eternal. I'm going to preach in a very unorthodox structure this morning. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the text and the story. And I really want to share with you what's on my heart. The story is about Elisha. And if you know your Bible story, you'll know that Elisha was the successor of Elijah. Elisha's name means God is salvation. Elisha was Elijah's protege because one day God raises prophet Elijah up in a time in the history of Israel when it was the most darkest spiritually. Never in the time of Israel were they so steeped in idolatry. Never in the time of Israel were they so backslidden. They were ruled by a king called Ahab and a woman called Jezebel. And Elijah had just come down from a battle on Mount Carmel and defeated the prophets of Baal and Asherah. 950 prophets defeated. A great victory in the land of Israel that sparked a spiritual awakening. But Elijah was, in my opinion, exhausted and spiritually drained when he got down from that mountain, Jezebel heard of the report and sent a, sent a letter to him. Now Jezebel was this vicious, ferocious, no-nonsense kind of a leader that slayed all the prophets of God. 7,000 prophets were in hiding because they feared Jezebel. And Jezebel sends a note, she sends an, an SMS, a WhatsApp message. And she says, God do to me so like you did to the prophets of Baal, if you are not dead by this time, tomorrow. And this mighty prophet of God, his knees began to clap. <laughs> and he went into this depression. And he said, Lord, take my life. It's one of the most roller coaster journeys in the man of God's life. Here was this fearless prophet who confronted the most wicked of forces and darkness and years saying lord now take my life i'm done i'm tired you know god does god says okay <laughs> god says elijah you, you're not indispensable okay go anoint elisha in jail and he goes and he anoints elisha and trains elisha up and elisha comes in to fulfill the rest of the assignment of elijah and so Elisha's role was to fan the flames of revival that Elijah had started. During the time of Elisha, God had sent over 30 prophets to Israel. That's how merciful God was and gracious God. He sent 30 prophets to Ahab and to the kings of Israel to bring them back to repentance. Elisha's ministry spanned over 60 years. He saw the reign of four to five kings. He saw the reign of Jehoram. He saw the reign of Jehu, Jehoaz, and Joash. 
The difference between Elijah and Elisha in their ministries is that Elisha had a double portion of what Elijah had. In other words, the miracles that Elijah did, Elisha did twice over. Elijah was more of a lone figure, wasn't a public person, didn't like to socialize. Elisha was different. He mixed with the politicians. He mixed with people. In scripture, you will find three parallel pairs of ministry. You will first find Moses and Joshua. You'll find Elijah and Elisha. And you'll find John the Baptist and Jesus. The first of those pairs always represent repentance. Moses representing repentance. The first of each pair is a wilderness kind of ministry. Moses in the wilderness. Elijah a wilderness figure. John the Baptist a wilderness figure. The second of those pairs always represent revival. Joshua revival. He entered the land of Canaan. Elisha represented revival. He did twice as much miracles as Elijah and he was responsible for the death of Jezebel and Ahab. Jesus, which represents revival and salvation for all mankind. And so Elisha is this prophet, man of notable signs and wonders. And here he is in 2 Kings chapter 6. He's surrounded by the army of Syrians. No way of escape. And the reason why he's surrounded by the enemy is because he was an informant. And it wasn't strange back then for prophets to give military information to kings. But they got this instruction divinely. And his gift was so strong and pronounced that he could hear conversations in foreign nations. Well, what's interesting about this passage, what we just read, all the main characters are unnamed. The king of Syria is not named. The servants is not named. The king of Israel is not named except Elijah. Elijah, in all those verses we read, is the only character of this passage that is named. The king of Syria is informed that Elisha is in Dothan. Now, if you do a word study and a search, there is only one other place where that city is referenced, Dothan. And you'll have to go back to Genesis 37. There's nothing insignificant in the scriptures, family. Nothing. No detail is insignificant. When I read my Bible, I don't know how you read your Bible, but when I read my Bible, I put on my, my glasses of observation. I'm, I'm an investigator. I'm Sherlock Holmes. There's no comma. There's no term. No preposition out of place. Everything is important to me. And when I saw the city of Dothan, I asked, Lord, where else is this found? Only one other place in the whole of Scripture. It's the place where Joseph, Joseph's brothers threw him into, city. They threw him in a pit in Dothan. And because of Joseph being thrown into a pit in Dothan, he was sold into slavery. And he went through such trial and testing and persecution and suffering and false accusations. And Joseph gets to the end of his life. He's now prime minister of Egypt and his brothers are before him repenting. And he says these words, he says, don't worry, I forgive you. What you intended for my evil, God has intended for good. And so Dothan reminds me of those words of Joseph. What the enemy intends for evil, God turns 
around for good. So here Elisha is in Dothan, surrounded by the, by the armies of Syria. It's what you call a checkmate situation. Catch 22. There's no way out. Have you ever been in that position in life where there's just no way out? The situation you're in is inescapable. There's just too many debit orders. <laughs> there's just too many problems, one after the next that you cannot solve. But what does Elisha do? Bible says, and Elisha prays. Elisha prays. The servant he had was petrified. He'd walked with Elijah for so long. And he was overcome by fear. Some of us would be less petrified if we prayed. Some of us would be less fearful if we were prayerful. There's something about the fervent prayer of the righteous. What is it? Oh, it avails much. Prayer still works, family. I'm so happy. You know, my heart was so full of joy uh, this morning when it was announced that we shifted our prayer meeting to, to a Tuesday. And it's in person. You know, I, I got saved and I used to speak to, to Greenville about this. We, we got saved in revival. We didn't even know it was revival at the time. <laughs> there were young people getting saved in schools, in colleges. There were people getting saved in the streets, everywhere. And there were young preachers and evangelists and pastors that came out and moved. But when I look back at what ignited this move, it was the woman who prayed. The woman who prayed desperately for their children and their sons in church. And we don't see much of that today. So can we have prayer back in the house of God? Elisha was a praying prophet. There's nothing worse than a prayerless prophet. Prayerless prophet to me is, is equivalent as a sangoma, a clairvoyant, palm reader, fortune teller. There's nothing worse in a prophet today who does not spend his time in the secret closet. Elisha prays and he prays and says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. Remove the veil from his eyes. Remove the veil of this earthly realm. And let him see into the spiritual realm. And this is the point that when I want to hammer, and I hope I get to speak about, about spiritual doors. Uh, I titled the sermon Spiritual Doors. I hope I get to talk about it. But the point I really want to hammer here is that in that moment when Elisha prayed and, and said, Lord, open my servant's eyes that he may see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. He moved past seeing a natural in the natural realm into a spiritual realm and he began to see an innumerable company of angels now this is what i want to say is that the reality of our lives is not revealed and displayed in the realm of the scene alone but the reality of life is hidden in the realm of the unseen. C.S. Lewis put it this way, in a materialistic world like ours, we are tempted to conclude that the only real things are those we experience with our five senses. Yet these are things we cannot see, the things behind our backs, the things far away, and the things in the dark. Let me illustrate it this way. Right now, as we sit here, 
there is an what they call an infinitesimal world all around us in the natural realm in the realm of our planet earth preacher used a big word what are you talking about i'm talking about a world under the microscope right under your nose there's bacteria you cannot see and this is the the, the life and and study of biologists you know there's a whole world under a microscopic telescope that will shock you out of your socks bacteria germs various life forms all around us that we cannot see with our own natural eyes does it exist yes can we see it no does it mean it doesn't exist because we cannot see it no we cannot see the microscopic world because we cannot see small enough the human eye is said to only visually process between 30 and 60 frames per second they say a bee a humming but bee a, a bee can flap its wings over 5000 frames per second you can literally look at a bumblebee and it looks like it's just floating because you cannot your 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 visual processor cannot absorb it quick enough we cannot see fast enough for an object to be invisible the object needs to to move at least seven seventeen thousand kilometers per second and it's invisible Our eyes have sensory limitations. We cannot see under the mi microscopic world. We cannot see fast enough to understand and process how fast insects fly or hummingbirds fly. We cannot stand here and gaze into the universe and see a star being born or to see a star dying our minds and our and our eyes have these sensory limitations we have hearing limitations your ears can only hear between 20 and 20,000 Hertz don't ask me what it hurts <laughs> anything below 20 Hertz you cannot hear in fact there was a study done and a trial done in a mall where people complained about the rowdiness of of children and so they played this gnawing sound just soft enough that only children could hear and so children will come in and like what's that noise but adults could not hear it because at a certain range our ears have a certain limitation in the sight and sound world family there are limitations limitations that we've come to accept and embrace perhaps one of the most sneakiest attacks and assaults of the enemy that I've seen in this last stage, I'm going to digress a little and I'm going to come back to what I really want to say, is I've seen, you know, they say the most dangerous enemy you have is the enemy you cannot see. Many believe, many have come to believe, and even in, even believers even in the church we've embraced a worldview and an outlook 
of faith and God and reality that is so limited, so materialistic and so secular and rational that it's left God out. It's left the supernatural out. It's become an imbalanced view of our reality. And it comes in the form of humanism. Humanism is a philosophy that says, by our own rationale and logic, we can make sense of the world. Humanism is very anti-spiritual. It's a pseudo form of intelligence. And it's dressed up sometimes in many forms and vehicles. And motivational speaking behind the pulpit can also be a driving force for humanism. So we've seen humanism attach itself to the gospel. And so we have a gospel that says, believe in God, but there's no such thing as miracles. Because it doesn't make proper sense or logic. And so I've, I've had a couple of friends, even family, that in these last recent years, they've come to me and they've said, um, miracles have ceased. Um, they've ceased because we have the canon of scripture. And I would always, it would always make no sense to me because number one, you serve a God of miracles. Number two, you pick up a book and the book you have is a book filled with miracles. Number three, I, I am a miracle. My fingerprint is totally unique to yours. And to build six billion people on this planet, I'm a miracle. Lastly, one, if you believe in the Bible, you should believe in miracles because one day there's going to come a mass resurrection of the dead. Every grave will give up the dead. The sea will give up the dead. And we are going to see the greatest spe spectacle in planet Earth, the total demonstration of God's power. We're going to see a great, one of the greatest miracles take place. And for goodness sakes, when you came to Christ, you experienced a miracle. Yes. To serve God is a miracle. You can live oblivious to the fact that there's two realms. You can get on in life. You can go on and die and even be an atheist and say, no, I believe in God, but there's no such thing as miracles. There's no such thing as the spiritual realm. Or... But in my personal life, I'll tell you it's too late. It's too late to convince me. Linton, a friend of mine, was in the States a few weeks ago and he met Pastor Tim Delina. Have you heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? He's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Tim Delina tells a story of a pastor, Pastor Kevin Ramsey. Pastor Kevin Ramsey had an argument with his wife. They had a huge argument. She left, she left the house with, with the kid. You know, I know why pastors are fighting with their wives. <laughs> but they left. He was alone. At midnight, he had a break-in. He had a break-in. The guy broke into his house. And he was upstairs. And the burglar grabbed the sharpest knife he could find, the sharpest kitchen knife. And he met and confronted Pastor Kevin on the, on the landing. He had a tennis racket in his hand. <laughs> the burglar had a knife. <laughs> so the burglar plunged the knife into his abdomen. And he rolled down the stairs and he continued to stab him 37 times. 37 times. He lost so much blood he went unconscious. Stabbed him behind the neck. Stabbed him in his face, stabbed him in his abdomen, in his back. And he was just in a pool of blood, he was unconscious. And the funny thing was, was that the burglar just left with a, with a old laptop and a, and a few change. 37 times, and by some miracle, he, he gained consciousness. 
and he heard a voice say get up and when he got up the first thing he did was he stood in the, in the pool of his own blood and he held his intestines in his stomach and he heard a voice say go to your neighbor and as he was making his way to his neighbor he kind of blanked out got to his neighbor got to the neighbor's door the neighbors were shocked and called 911 true story it's on CBN you'll find it on, on YouTube and the ambulance come they they take him to hospital and by some miracle the doctors say for some reason the knife missed every major organ in your body we don't understand why you are alive but when the police got to the to the crime scene they were even more shocked they said you know what Kevin, we, we saw that you have big years, size 10s, you know. Kevin was, was like size 9s. <laughs> and like size 10, so it was hard to miss his footsteps. Your footprints are in the pool of blood. Leading out where you went to your neighbors, there's not one footprint of blood. All the way. How do you explain it? You tell me. A few years ago, Zuei will tell you the story. This was before she met me. She was in. She used to attend these prayer meetings in uh, in Marysburg, and I, I asked about it. And in these meetings, she would they would experience in these prayer meetings they would experience like these demonic manifestations. And in one of those meetings, they saw an angel in the room while they were praying. This beam of light it wasn't just her it was just her I said hey baby you cuckoo <laughs> three four people could see the exact same thing a few years ago when I used to teach um, sounding a bit old now but when I used to be a teacher back in the day I used to supervise high school students in a hostel and every morning what we do as a customers we come up We'd line the girls one side, and we'd line up the boys one side, and we'll begin the morning with the Our Father. But for some reason, when I got down uh, this morning, something was different. When I said, okay guys, let's, let's say the Our Father together. No one wanted to repeat the Our Father. It's the first time in three years. No one wanted to repeat the Our Father. And in a, in a brief moment, I heard a scream and a screech. And then there was just chaos. These kids began to manifest demonically and they were jumping around like monkeys and kicking uh, windows, panes and it was such a commotion that uh, the matron called the police in <laughs> Zaps came in and it was just a whole commotion and pastors came in and we spent the whole day praying for these kids and casting out devils. At that moment you would never convince me that there's, there's not a spiritual realm. There's a realm of the unseen. There are expressions of this realm. Now, the reason why that happened with these, with these kids is because they were playing witchcraft, they were playing witchcraft games the night before. And, and that created a doorway uh, for demonic activity. But what I want to bring to your attention this morning is let us not go through life as though this is all there is to it. We live between two realms and there's a realm that runs parallel with this realm and it's the realm of the unseen, it's the spiritual world. Sometimes the problems you face is not a problem that can be solved naturally. It's a problem that needs to be solved spiritually. But what we're doing is we're putting plasters over a gashing wound. We're trying to fix cancer with a plaster. And if it's a spiritual problem, it needs a spiritual solution. And so, Every now and again, we get a glimpse of this realm. We get a glimpse of the realm of the unseen, the spiritual world. And sometimes we get to experience it through the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit 
are gifts from that realm. Every time you get a prophetic word, every time you get a word of wisdom, every time you get healed, it's expressions from the realm of the unseen, from God the Father. Now the realm of the unseen does not consist of only bad forces and forces of darkness, but good forces, angelic forces, like we saw in the case of, of Elisha. The last thing I want to say is just like our five senses connect us to this realm. You know, touch, sight, hearing, smell, the senses. Our five senses connect us to the realm of the seen. Faith is what connects us to the realm of the unseen. Because Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence, the evidence of things not seen. If we don't walk by faith, we don't get to conquer in the world of the unseen. You'll be surprised that sometimes the problems you're facing with have more to do with what meets the eye. Sometimes you and your husband will be fighting and you won't even know why. You'll just tick it off like every other problem. Sometimes you'll be struggling with debt after debt and no matter how many times you start your business, you fail. No matter what it is, we need to become discerning. We need not to be oblivious to the fact that there, there is another realm at work here. People, places, and practices are spiritual doors. I'm going to say that in closing. People, places, and practices are spiritual doors. These are some people you meet. Um, and I'm going to illustrate it this way. When Jesus met Nathaniel, this, these ways worse than Nathaniel. He said, from now onwards, you will see angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. And Jesus said in John 10, I am the door. So Jesus was a door. Jesus was a spiritual door. And in a similar sense, sometimes the people you connect with are doors. Either doors for the demonic influence or, or doors for godly influence. That's why we see such strong warning against who we keep company with. Places, certain places are doorways into darkness or doorways into light. That's why you won't, you won't find these feet anywhere. You will find these, these feet planted in the house of God. Because the house of God is a doorway. A doorway into the presence of God. How do I know this? Jacob. Jacob, when he was in Bethel, fell asleep and had a dream. And when he woke up from the dream, he dreamt of angels ascending and descending in the place. He said, he woke up and said, surely the presence of God is in this place. This is none other than the gateway to heaven. And so the house of God is a gateway into the presence of God. Certain places are places of doorways. I remember a friend of mine who was struggling in his walk. And he kept on slipping into into sin and iniquity and he was in such a dark place he called me one day and he said Bevan I cannot move I literally cannot move my body I'm pinned against the wall I said where are you where are you I'm just giving him another name where are you Harry almost gave away his real name <laughs> like where are you Harry he says I'm in this club I'm pinned against the wall and I'm seeing things that I should not be seeing. This is such a strong demonic influence here. He says the, the name of the place is uh, Babylon. And I'm like, Babylon? <laughs> it's a no brainer. <laughs> it's a no brainer. <laughs> the place is called Babylon. Was that not warning enough? He was literally frozen. As if something had choked him up against the wall. Certain practices are doorways into the other realm. We don't get to see signs, wonders, and miracles. 
because we don't embrace certain practices anymore. We don't do all night prayer anymore. <laughs> we don't pray and fast anymore, Dwayne. You know, we love our hot wings, soul fire sauce. <laughs> we don't like to fast on occasion. When was the last time you came out of a 40-day fast? This is a challenge for you and for us and for and for me. There are certain practices or doors into the realm of the unseen. My encouragement and challenge to you is very simple, and we get to talk about it further next week. Is that we cannot go about our lives anymore like this realm does not exist. It exists. It exists. Trust me, I can pledge my life on it. It exists. At our wedding, I've had many prophetic words. I mean, this Bible, this Bible is a supernatural book. There are over two, three thousand prophecies that have been fulfilled already. The Bible in itself predicted the coming of the Messiah, predicted the death uh, and the destruction of Tyre and Sidon, it predicted Greenville preached the one Sunday, but how it predicted the coming kingdoms in Asia Minor to the T. It predicted Alexander the Great. That's what the scripture says in Peter. There's no more sure word of prophecy than this. But, and I think I said this last week, you standing, or you seated here right now, is a fulfillment of a prophetic word that has been trailing me my whole life from 16 years old. Trailing me. When we got married, there was a word that came to us when we were on our wedding day. And the word was, there's a church in you. Four people on our wedding day whispered in my ear, there's a church in you. Now, I had no intentions of ch starting church. We were doing fine. <laughs> we were doing perfectly fine. We were happy. I was happy. Everything was fine. We had no problems in our lives. Kenya and Tony will tell you we had no problem. <laughs> no problems. And I know from experience that leading church is tough. Knowing whether you're going to pitch up here when it's minus two degrees is stressful. Half of the people that booked aren't here, right? <laughs> but I'm saying, it draws out of you. And I didn't want that life of sacrifice. And then, a pastor in the middle of a service prophesied and said, pointed at me and he said, there's a church in you. But not just a church, there's churches in you. The exact same words. So I'm like, hey. Okay, I think there's something to it, babe. We get to a home sale meeting. A guy prophesies and says, there's a church in you. And I see you in a church and it's a red carpet. What, what, what? Is a red carpet before you? Is, what, what's this here? Is <laughs> okay, don't, don't, don't be so specific, okay? <laughs> it's a red carpet. You know? Okay, we, someone calls me and says I had a vision, leading a church. Now at that stage I knew, I knew that I cannot live my life in my own rationale and logic. Don't ever try and live your life like that. Don't ever live your life not believing that God is able to do over and exceeding above or that you can ask me, don't believe your life, don't live your life believing that God still does not do miracles. God is still the same, nothing's changed about Him. We've changed. We've adopted this worldview to say, uh, I don't think God can still, can still part Red Seas. Nothing's changed about Him. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can tell you stories of Wayne Holcomb, uh, a prophet I met, whose kid broke his nose and he prayed and all he did was shout Jesus and his nose supernaturally came back. 
I tell a, a story of my friend Gabriel, who was totally deaf in his ear. Had his ear pop. I'm standing next to him. His ear pops. He says, "Yeah, he goes," <laughs> and he's healed supernaturally. I can tell you stories after stories after stories. It's too late to convince me that God has changed. Nothing's changed. Can we stand? Also, the funny thing is, is um, people who adopt this worldview and say, oh, "God, God doesn't do this stuff anymore." The moment there's demons, they should be like, "Ah, okay, okay, yeah." <laughs> but why must something bad manifest? You know. You remember the story? I became perhaps one of the greatest, greatest horror movies of all times. The Exorcist. You remember? It's based off a true story. It's based off a true story. Seven Jesuit priests tried to cast out demons from, from a, a boy and struggled for weeks and weeks and weeks. You can wonder why they struggle. <laughs> but I'm saying this reality exists. And you think, ah, it's just, I'm just, I'm just going to the club. Ach, it's just a joint here. Ach, it's just a night out with the friends, having a good time. But you don't understand the realities around your activities. At this time, I want to ask if uh, our ushers can just pass around the communion as well. And emblems, and then we're going to just close on this note. If you could just pass around the emblems.